Hey, I'm Sam. And I'm Lizzie. And we're queer people who love movies. This is Subtextual. Good morning, Sam. Good morning, Lizzie. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm just splendid. Just so enraptured. I'm so ready to talk about this movie with you. (laughs) Holy shit. Like, I feel like I've been about to burst. We watched it together last night and we had to, like, I need a muzzle. Like, do they make human (laughs) muzzles? Like, I was going to explode with all the comments I had to make. I just kept going. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Pained silence. Yeah, it was... um, Okay, why don't you talk about what movie we're talking about, huh? So today we are watching a film from 1999 called The Haunting. For all you bisexuals out there. Yes. Actually, I chose this film only based on like the whispers and the rumors I had heard that there was a bisexual character in it and for no other reason. Well... I like haunted house movies. I really do. Lizzie's really coming around to scary movies. Like this time last year, I couldn't even get her to watch like Scream. But now she's in it and now she's working through the backlog and we're hitting the haunting. And I hadn't even seen the haunting before either. So I'm surprised because this feels to me like a movie your family would have watched near you and you would have been caught up like ogling Mm -hmm. Catherine Zeta-Jones at. Oh, my God. (laughs) In your living room. (laughs) Yes, I my family loved scary movies, but we were more like Final Destination. Oh, we yeah. liked the Thriller. big franchise yeah. sort of situations. And The Haunting was like, God, so bad. And also could not be a franchise because like what what could you hang a franchise on in this movie? Well, I got to tell you, this fucking universe of The Haunting of Hill House has had a long history of content. So that's actually a perfect segue into talking about the multiverse that is this fucking idea, the story idea. So... The Haunting is actually based on a book written in 1959 by a woman named Shirley Jackson, and the book is called The Haunting of Hill House, and it was a very successful book. She kind of like made her name on this book, and within like five years, in 1963, there was a British film of the same title, the first adaptation of this book. Then in 1999, there's R, The Haunting, also based on this book, and in 2018, a Netflix miniseries. Also called The Haunting of Hill House. So that's like a fucking smorgasbord of content on this one fucking book. Yeah, I've seen The Haunting of Hill House. Oh, you have? The little miniseries? Now that I said that, I don't know if I have. I could see you watching it. Like, Yeah. Okay, yes. I'm getting it confused with like the Bly Manor Bly Manor, yeah. Same creators. Mm -hmm. Probably similar storylines. Maybe same universe? Gosh, I don't know. Maybe so. I did see The Haunting of Hill House and yeah, it was better than this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, as y'all are going to learn pretty soon, we have a lot of qualms with this movie. Quality qualms. Yeah. Like no moral qualms. Yeah, no, exactly. Me and Lizzie had, like I said, we both had never seen it before and we weren't allowed to talk about it with each other while we were watching it. But I knew how she felt about it just from her like body vibe. and (laughs) groaning from the couch across the room. Yeah, exactly. Lee Garcia, producer, have you engaged with or do you are you familiar with any of these movies, Netflix series, book? So as I understand, there's a scene in this movie where I think a piano string snaps and like cuts yeah. someone's face. Is it Owen Wilson or is it someone else? It's like a side character, but okay. it's not Owen Wilson. <laughs> I know Owen Wilson's in the movie. Uh, that was a jump scare for me. <laughs> I did not see that coming. piano string or no, Owen Wilson? Owen Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> he walks in and you're like... 
wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, so my friend, I remember when the movie came out, my friend at lunch was telling me about the scene or no, actually the way, the way it happened is we were jamming and he was like, we were like, all right, you're out of tune, man. You got to tune your guitar. And he would just make the weirdest faces when he was tuning. And then pretty quickly we figured out, it's like, he was afraid of tuning. Like what's, what's <laughs> wrong, man. And he was like, had to explain the whole scene. Like, I'm afraid it's going to like snap. And, and then like, uh, my other friend would come up and like try to tune it for him and you could still see him wincing, like oh, not wanting him to tighten it any, any further. It's pretty funny though. I got to say that moment is so early on in the film. It's probably one of the best and only yeah. like kind of scary moments that I, it, it set me up to believe this was going to be a better movie than it was. Yeah. Because it was more practical than like CGI, which is I think what kind of killed this movie. In yeah, a lot of ways. you're right. It, I think the practical effects that are peppered in this movie work really well, um, spooky wise. And then all the CGI is just like, oh, so dated and so cringy. Oh my God. And you know, it's so crazy. When I found this out, I was like, why, why did this not work? But the guy who oversaw this film's VFX is named Phil Tippett, who had just won an Oscar for doing the dinosaurs of Jurassic Park, No, which to me are some of the hands down best CGI of all time. Isn't yeah. that crazy? But the but Jurassic Park was like mixed, right? It was practical and CGI. Like the up yes. close were like robotics and then the, you know, dinosaurs running and that stuff was CGI. So it's like, what a fucking miss with this movie. What a miss. Damn, it was bad. You know, the CGI is giving twitches. Did you ever see that Tia and Tamara oh, movie? Oh my God. No, but yes. <laughs> It's like a decom, a Disney Channel original movie. <laughs> Thanks, for <laughs> Thanks for explaining that. And it's about Tia and Tamara and they're witches, but they're twins, twitches. And they're fighting this darkness and the darkness is like an enveloping fog that like can animate into like hands and other things. But it looks so fucking bad. Yeah. Probably because they had like $2 to do it. But <laughs> God, that's embarrassing. This movie had the guy from Jurassic Park. It's like, we only had to scare eight-year-olds with twitches. You have to scare the entire world with the haunting. Even as an eight-year-old, my pretentious ass was like, it's not believable. It looks so bad. That doesn't look <laughs> real. That's not a real pillowcase forming the face of a child. Exactly. Oh, God. Okay, let's get into this movie. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. So a quick synopsis of The Haunting. I made this up, by the way. Three people with nothing in common sign up for a scientific study in a giant secluded mansion. They soon discover that the house is riddled with the ghost of an old man and the many children he's murdered. Murdered. Yeah, sorry, Leah. You're going to know what's going to happen in this movie <laughs> should you ever decide to watch it. Um, so the inception of this movie, like I said, is based on a book, but the whole project started as a brainchild of Steven Spielberg and Stephen King. The two Stevens came together because they wanted to do a project together, but unlike the Daniels, they were not able to play nice, and the project really didn't go very far. It never even got to, like, script form. Like, they couldn't even get past the step where they agree what the movie should loosely be about, despite the fact that it has source material. So... <laughs> Wait, if they if it would have worked, they would have been the Stevens. The Stevens! Directed by <laughs> the Stevens. Dude, I'm not surprised that their egos were too big to like do this movie and now it's it's like crap could not move past step one mm -mm. so when that fell apart Stephen King took his idea and went and developed a 2002 miniseries called Rose Red which is apparently really good never watched it and Spielberg commissioned this screenplay which eventually would become our 1999 version but get this 
when I heard that, I was like kind of reading into the pre-production of all this. I went to the IMDb and could not find a single mention of Steven Spielberg's name anywhere on the project. Oh, no. Do you think he hated it and had he it scrubbed? fucking ensured that his name was not on the final product. He says he was, quote unquote, disgusted by the quality of the final product. <laughs> Shut up, dude. Like, this was never good. This was just doomed from fucking the start. roast them. Oh, my God. <laughs> roast yourself. This was your idea, bro. <laughs> like, you came up with this. No, there's nothing worse you can do than, like, take your name off and be like, because it, it's literal shit. Like, this I is, cannot be associated. I am disgusted. The word disgusted? <laughs> oh, my God. It's like such a primal reaction to something. I don't think anyone thought this was going to be, like, a beautiful take on, like, you know, generational trauma. Like, it's a terrible movie. I mean, they put some money and some energy into this film that I'm like... But you didn't, you just ignored the script. So we put all this energy into the CGI and the sets, but not the dialogue. I'm just, I just can't believe that they had that much money because their cast is like three people. Yeah. Like, I have right. so many qualms with this plot, but like if you're doing a sleep study, like your sample size is three, three. people, <laughs> all that are like the same age and white. Like, yes. I mean, Catherine Zeta-Jones is probably like, I don't know, is she white? Let's find out. That's a good question. I've never considered that. Oh, my fucking God. She's Welsh, of all things. What? It says that she was born in Swansea, UK, and she is Welsh. Her parents <laughs> the, aren't on here. The first article comes up, says, people are shocked that Catherine Zeta-Jones is not Latina. <laughs> <laughs> I just assumed she was Spanish because of, like, Zorro, I guess. <laughs> Does she have an accent? Oh, wait, no. Here we go. Born to David Jones, the owner of a sweet factory, and his wife, Patricia. Sounds... Her father is Welsh and her mother is of Irish Catholic descent. She is white. So the sample size is indeed all white people. <laughs> yeah, that are like all 25 or yes. something. All right. So there's a couple things, like before we get into the plot, which will be mostly critiques, there are a couple things that I did like about the film and that yeah. did impress me. The number one thing is probably the fucking sets, the interior sets yeah, specifically. Absolutely. They put their whole kabussy into that. She's not saying whole pussy because we got black shadowed or whatever on TikTok. <laughs> TikTok shadow banned us, those fuckers, dude. I'm fucking stoked about it. I, I feel like a little, like, achievement. Like, we just unlocked a little. Yeah. Oh, my God. You've been shadow banned. <laughs> um, but, okay, so I found out these sets were made by this, like, world-renowned Argentinian set designer named Eugenio Zanetti. He did the sets for What Dreams May Come, which are also arguably the best things, the best part of that movie as well. The script is fine, but the sets were amazing. And all the interiors are like a real fucking set. Upon watching, like before I heard this, I just assumed they were like CGI, like the rest of everything in this <laughs> film, but they are like indeed built like the hall of mirrors and the big fireplace that's all fucking real and it was like a massive chunk out of the budget uh cost like 10 million dollars or something damn and it was to this day one of the largest interior sets ever built without the sets being as beautiful and realistic as they were this movie would not have like a leg to stand on because nothing yeah. else is viable like n not the plot not the character's motivations <laughs> 
But wouldn't you feel like I almost feel like if this took place in just some like dangle house in New England, like we picture it, it would make a little more sense. It could even be like campy. Mm-hmm. But because they have these like amazing sets, but then like fucking Owen Wilson walks in and starts wow. talking about Teletubbies. <laughs> I'm just like, so it's like that one time it reminded me of this time when I was in college, I was like, one of my best friends was kind of wealthy and his mom really liked me. So she invited me to go to dinner with them one night. And it was like the first time I'd ever been to like a really nice restaurant. And, you know, this is like fucking maybe Ruth Chris. It's not that nice of a restaurant. But for it's me, like still I was a chain like, restaurant. It's still a chain. <laughs> but like I was so nervous. Like I ordered a burger and everyone else was getting like quails and clams. It was like <laughs> if you have like these two conflicting like levels of quality, it's just like it adds to the like mess of what doesn't make sense about this film for me. Yeah, you're saying like the just the juxtaposition is too harsh. Whereas like it didn't like now that you're saying that, I'm thinking of like an example that did really well, like what we do in the shadows. Like they have immaculate sets yeah. and they're goofy. It's like a slapstick sort of comedy, but I think they adopt it really well and it kind of matches. But you're right here it's like Owen Wilson being like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> like and like throwing a baseball around and it just it's so goofy. And all of the actors are on totally different wavelengths. 100%. Like Eleanor is like doing some sort of theatrical version of, I don't know, like Macbeth. And yes. then like <laughs> Catherine Zeta-Jones is just looking hot, which I appreciate. And then Owen Wilson is just like in a complete rom, like a complete comedy. You call them like the Scooby gang at one point <laughs> and I almost lost my shit. I was like 100%. These like bumbling people just like running from, from one room to another in this <laughs> giant impeccable mansion. I would have appreciated it more if they shot it like a forest and it was like, you're running from room to room. Yeah, like in the background, they cross. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the best parts of Scooby-Doo, Absolutely. And another fun fact, the exterior house, that like giant castle that they're like, yeah, this is in America somewhere, even though I'm like, nothing is that old in America, period, but okay, is actually located in England and is owned by the University of Evansville in Indiana. It's just a place that they send their students to study abroad. So like Indiana owns that giant fucking huge (laughs) mansion in england look i was was telling lizzie as long as they didn't shoot this in fucking new zealand i'm fucking pleased i'm gonna start making a list on letterbox of like all the films you didn't think that were made in new zealand i don't know why it bothers me so much i don't know why you need to examine your like bias against new zealand I think it's fine if they're supposed to be in, like, nowhere, any place. But, like, if it's Montana, if it's, like, Wyoming and it's, like— Texas. Texas. Yeah, yeah. like, come on. Just go to Texas. It's right there. They're so cheap to shoot in. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Last criminal in this lineup of shit that should have been better is the director, Jan DeBont, who before this was a very successful director and after this did nothing ever of worth. Uh, he His first two movies that really brought him up into Hollywood fame were Twister and Speed, which I love Speed. Sandra Bullock. Yeah. That wow. movie kicks ass. And Keanu Reeves. Like, yeah, I guess I just completely couple. forgot about him. Yeah. he's It's mostly her. She's the powerhouse of that. Yeah. But like he knew what he was doing. And then he did this. You're like, you have no excuse, sir. No excuse. I know you know how to direct a film. I always wonder like when a director has done like some amazing work and then they start to flop like hard. I'm like, what? Like, what happens? You know what I mean? Like, there's definitely examples. I wish I could come up with one. M. Night Shyamalan. <gasps> My boy really That's fucked it with the Avatar. Yeah. I, that was like the just the fucking nosedive into hell after yeah. that. 
Oh, God, because The Village is iconic. The Village is an incredible standalone movie. I think yeah. Signs is, is good, Signs. too. I think The Village is my favorite. And then Sixth Sense, incredible. Yeah. And then yeah, Sixth Sense. Fucking nosedive into fucking badness. Into batshit hell. There's probably so many directors that have done, like, the exact same thing. Oh, I'm sure. We'll provide a list of them for you for next time. I'll do my homework. Yes. But anyway, Jane DeBont, what happened to you, bud? Sorry, babe. Sorry, babe. <laughs> All right, let's let's dive into this plot. It's going to be a clusterfuck, y'all. Just hold on. If it doesn't make sense, look, it's not my fault. I think we're going to do a better job <laughs> explaining this than the movie did. I was reading the Wikipedia plot just to like kind of compare, and I was like, reading this, it seems like the movie makes sense. But I watched this movie, and at the end of it, I was like, what? What just happened? What? Just what is going on? The movie ended, and I like looked at Lizzie, and I know we shouldn't have been talking about it, but I just looked at her, and I was like, did she just fuck a house? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. We're going to build up to it so much. Yeah. So I'm just going to brush through the plot because it makes almost no sense, and there's really only one major queer character moment. And then after that, it's just all fun and games, folks. So right up front, we meet our protagonist, Eleanor Nell, and she is being evicted from her dead mother's apartment by her own sister. And all she has left of her mother is a 20-year-old car and an ugly-ass locket necklace. I would just like to say the her sister is played by the mom from The Haunting in Connecticut, which I just made Lizzie watch as well. And um, she just reminds me of like a knockoff Jillian Anderson, just yes. to paint a picture. She's in one scene. It doesn't matter, but that's the vibes. She's that is a, the, a huge bitch. It was really great to see her like in yet another horror movie because this movie came out 10 years before that one. And I was like, damn, she hasn't really like changed much. She physically looks the same. Like yeah. Knockoff Jillian Anderson. And the person who plays Eleanor also is in that same camp where she looks the same to me every time I see her and mm -hmm. she's like always in like a horror movie. Okay, so this is that actor that plays Nell is named Lily Taylor. And I was watching this fucking movie and it was driving me nuts because I was like, how, how, how do I know this person? And I looked up her filmography and though I had seen a lot of those movies, I was like, nope, that's not it. What is it? And then finally it fucking came to me because it always comes back to the X-Files. I was about to say, is it the fucking X-Files? It's the fucking X-Files. She's in a season five episode called Mind's Eye, which I love, where she plays a blind woman who like gets flashes of murders as they're being committed and mm. like Mulder and Scully team up with her to figure out the killer. Is this the one where like she sees Mulder getting killed? There is a lot of like psychics and, oh wait, was it kind of funny? No, you know what? I'm, I know the the. Sorry, this is a total tangent, but the episode I'm thinking of, the clairvoyant person is like the dad from Everybody Know Loves Raymond. Yes, different episode. But. Yes, okay, that episode <laughs> is iconic and one of my top five. But he's just like so nihilistic about like, oh well, whatever, he's yeah. gonna die. No, this one's like very serious. She's like haunted by these images, and she does a fantastic job. But yes. It it's all comes back to fucking Jillian Anderson. Yeah. She's the queen of the literal universe. She is the black hole of which we all rotate around. Absolutely. Anyway, so we figured it out. <laughs> so Lily Taylor playing Nell. So Nell gets a random call on the telephone and it's someone, we don't know who, telling her to check out this ad in the newspaper. And it's for a insomnia research study offering $900 a week with room and board. And so she fucking takes it. 
I have so many qualms with this and maybe we can talk about it as it, as they get to the house, but like the sample size of this group, incredibly small fucking you guys, if I signed up for a study and it was, you know, Catherine Zeta Jones and Owen Wilson, I'd be like, I feel like more people should be here. So when is everyone else arriving? Exactly. And then they, it's an insomnia study that they don't even try to make seem real. Like they all go to sleep in different rooms and no one's like monitoring their heartbeat or their circadian rhythm, like rhythms or like yeah. anything that anyone would give a shit about if they were studying insomnia. He literally hands them a folder of mazes and a pencil and is like, if you could complete these at some point, that'd be great. Thanks. He has some like Xeroxed pages from like a child's <laughs> workbook and he's oh like, this is for the study. Anyways, night night. 100%. And also like this isn't important and we do come back to it later, but like the person on the phone, we never hear their voice and you kind of just get the sense she doesn't know who they are, but it's never explained. But do you remember like in the mm-hmm. end of the film, there was like a moment where she's like, well, you who called me? It wasn't something. you who called me, doctor. And I'm like, first of all, Liam Neeson has such a distinct fucking fake American accent. You would know if it was him or not. He gives up on the accent like halfway through every scene. He every just sentence. gives up. <laughs> just like, don't do it. Just like be like Irish or whatever. <laughs> like, just do it. That's a great character. It would give interest to your character because otherwise I have no reason to remember you. Yeah, there's no reason why his character would do any of this shit. But yeah, she's just like, well, weren't you the one that called me? And they exchange like very terse glances. And then it's like, okay, so the house called her? <laughs> the house called her? The like an Owen house. Wilson called her? Wow. <laughs> wow. Is this now? <laughs> Um, so she goes to the house, and it's, like we said, it's massive, ornate, and she meets the other woman in the study, Theo, played by Catherine Zeta-Jones. So fucking hot. Oh, my God. So motherfucking hot. We okay. say that a lot, but she in this movie is it. She's the pinnacle of hotness. With all respect. With all respect. With all respect to you, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Without you, this movie would be nothing. I was. So, she's so hot. It is literally the only reason we are discussing it right now. Exactly, like it's her character. Me and Lizzie didn't have nostalgia goggles on when yeah. we rewatch. I mean, we never watched it before. So, I mean, for all those people out there who love it, I know a lot of people who like this film. But for me, I know the only saving grace was Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah, but let's be clear. I probably will revisit this film later. <laughs> Like a film that I feel so many feelings about and can talk about for hours is one that no matter how bad it is, I will revisit it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You'll like forget about it enough and then put it on in a couple of years and be like, wow, this really is bad. <laughs> Still bad. <laughs> yeah, just checking. So I want to show you a clip. This is when we meet Theo, a.k.a. Catherine Zeta-Jones. What do you do, Eleanor? I'm between jobs right now. The last person I was working for, it ended over some. And you? Well, that depends. I'm supposed to be an artist. But I've been distracted from work by love, you know what I mean? Mm, Not really. Hey, don't tell me Boston's different from New York. Oh, you mean you have trouble with commitment? Well, my my boyfriend thinks so, my girlfriend doesn't. If we could all live together, but they hate each other. Did it get hot in here, guys? What the hell? Damn. If she, like, was taking off her coat and looking at me like that, I would just lay down on the floor and be like, hi, you may step anywhere that you see. You know when you're, like, mouth fills with water when you're about to vomit? It would be like that for me, but, like, sexy. I'd be like, mm-hmm. Yeah, but sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, was that not sexy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. She 
is so hot. God fucking fuck. As I saw the scene and I was like, okay, I get it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you get like a hint? Okay, so this whole scene is taking place while Catherine Zeta-Jones is like changing her blouse. And there's this very marked shot where... Uh, Nell kind of like glances down at her boobs and is like, whoa, and then like turns around in what I interpret as gay panic. A thousand percent. She like looks terrified of Theo when she does like make eye contact with her, like almost like she's about to be like swept away. Like it's it's like a fear that like it does not read straight. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, I would be so nervous around this woman. All right, so I would like to take us on a little journey and walk us through the other Theos in the Haunting of Hill House universe. Are they also gay? Girl. Okay. Oh my God. Christmas. So I want to just go totally against the grain and say that though this movie is based on a book, I did not have the chance to read it for this episode. I am so sorry. That's all right. I feel ashamed. (laughs) Um, The characters Eleanor and Theo are like consistent against all the like adaptations of this book. The characters might change a little bit, but there's always like the two leads are a woman named Eleanor and a woman named Theo. So in the 1959 book version, they're kind of like psychics or mediums and they're like hired to go to this haunted house and kind of help deduce what's going on. And that's like the main drama of the book. There isn't as many like jumps and scares. And I don't think there's even like any ghost apparitions in this book. It's more of like trying to decipher like what's real and what isn't. But these two women spend a lot of time together. That's interesting. So the storyline about like the ghost babies is not even a thing in the original. No, they, the adaptations get wildly more different from the (laughs) source material with each go. Great. Um, So In the book, in the scene where Eleanor meets Theo, Theo is wearing all black. She is a bohemian artist, which is code for queer, basically, at this time. And she had just gone through an argument with a roommate, quote unquote, and it is strongly implied that she's in a temporary separation from her live-in girlfriend. So as canonically gay as you can get in the 1950s. Yeah, that's pretty queer for that time period. Absolutely. And then like, as the story goes on in the book, in this version of the film, um, in this version of the story, Nell attaches to Theo like hardcore and it kind of like follows her around and relies on her a lot. And after they go through all this like terrorizing shit together, persistently Nell asks Theo if she can go back with her to her apartment because she doesn't really have anywhere to go after this. And Theo like gently refuses her attentions and requests. So it's not a huge storyline following what Theo's sexuality is in this version. But if you were a queer reader, you knew all the boxes and the signs that were here. And this queer character was treated differently than 99% of most queer characters in any book at that time. Like, Theo is not treated like a villain or a victim in this story, and her sexuality does not play into her downfall. In fact, she has no downfall. She survives at the end, is totally intact with her morals and her livelihood and just like moves on so it kind of defeats that like bury your gaze trope that was allowable to censorship at the time where basically you could have a gay character but they have to be a villain and they should probably die for it to be okay yeah so this was you know a pretty good moment for queer visibility at this time i mean it's like barely anything but we will take it it was enough for me let me tell you what hell yeah hell yeah Um, So next stop, we have the 1963, 
The Haunting of Hill House film. The nods in the direction of Theo's queerness are still really subtle, but they're definitely there. So I have some clips to show you. This is the clip where Eleanor and Theo meet for the first time. Oh my God, vintage clips. Vintage clips. You frightened, Mel? Oh, no more. Just when I thought I was all alone. But how did you know my nickname is Nell? Well, that is the affectionate term for Eleanor, isn't it? Yes. Yes, I suppose it is. What a nice way of putting it. The affectionate term for Theodora is Theo. Theo. We're going to be great friends, Theo. Like sisters? <laughs> oh, my God. What is your impression of Theo and Eleanor in that scene? I like that the the film that we're talking about today, the 1990-whatever version, kept that whole, like, undressing moment. Because I think that's, like, immediately very intimate and, like, vulnerable. And this film from 1963 does that. And Theo clocks Nell from the jump, which I appreciate because Nell is such an annoying character. Oh, my God. And I don't know if that's changed through the adaptations, but... Such a goody two-shoes, so soft-spoken. I don't know, that kind of shit like annoys me. So I think Theo coming in and like clocking her very quickly and making her comfortable is is a nice thing to do, especially when you see someone's like so scared and timid. Yeah, the like dynamic of the two it definitely is more consistent with the 1999 version. Like I like that they kept her very like fashionable. Like she's wearing like black leopard print and this like really fashionable leather hat where Eleanor is wearing like a fucking cardigan and her hair in like a tight <laughs> bun. And the whole like, we're going to be close like sisters. Ooh, that glance. Oh, the glance. I'll put the clips that we're watching in the bio notes so you can see it, but it's loaded. And I yeah. think that, like, they're close, like, sisters was probably a thing that, like, lesbian lovers heard a lot in yeah. the 60s uh-huh. of, like, uh-huh, yeah, we're, like, sisters. Sure, sisters, right? <laughs> they look at each other, give a little laugh. Bink. Yeah. Um, I have one more clip to show you from this movie. This is also basically the only other, like, more obvious mention to Theo's queerness in the film, and I thought it was really interesting. You poor, stupid, innocent... I'd rather be innocent than like you. Meaning what? Now who's being stupid and innocent? You know perfectly well what I mean. Is this another of your crazy hallucinations? I'm not crazy. Crazy as a loon. You really expect me to believe you're sane and the rest of the world is mad? Well, why not? The world is full of inconsistencies. Unnatural things. Nature's mistakes, they're called. You, for instance. So unnatural things and consistencies in nature. I mean, that's like a very clear reference to her sexuality being unnatural. But what I found really interesting about this moment is that you get to see the look of hurt on Theo's face. You get to like empathize with her. Like she is hurt by this statement. And I think Eleanor even like regrets saying it, which is way more empathy than we're ever awarded to a queer character at this time frame. Yeah, it's, I mean, do you think that maybe she was referencing that they were psychics? That's the thing. It could easily be like Uh, hidden under that mm -hmm. subtextualness of like, because like the thing is Eleanor too, like sees ghosts. Yeah. So they would also be unnatural by those laws as well. Ah, so it's like an othering because like they're in the same boat. Yeah. (laughs) So fucked up. So fucked up. All right. And finally... Um, we get to our 1999 Theo, which I just showed you the intro to her character, but I'm going to keep playing that clip because there was like a moment between the two women that I wanted to unpack because whenever I saw it, I was like, 
what the fuck? And I wanted to talk to you about it, but I couldn't. <laughs> so, what about you? Husbands, boyfriends, girlfriends, I don't know. Where do you live? I don't have anyone. But I do have a little apartment of my own. It has a little flower garden. You can just see the ocean. And when the wind comes in just right, you can hear the buoys in the harbor. Wow. That sounds really nice. You're lucky. But you know that, right? Oh, sorry. Just a little hair. So, show me the bathroom. Can you kind of just describe that moment? Yeah, so we see Eleanor and Catherine Zeta-Jones um, as as Theo is like unpacking. Theo asks Eleanor if she has any boyfriends or girlfriends. And Eleanor is like, no, but I have this little apartment and this baby's... God, she's so fucking annoying. <laughs> Delusional. <laughs> and then um, Theo makes like a move to like get something off of Eleanor's shirt and she like basically jumps out of her skin. Like it's like grossed out or I don't even know what like just pulls away in this like really like whoa don't touch me kind of way yeah I just like I had some theories on it but I was like that's such a weird moment to keep in like maybe they're trying to show that Nell doesn't want to like have any physical intimacy but then in the very next couple of scenes when she gets scared she instantly runs and jumps into Theo's bed with her and like puts her arm around her and is like oh god I'm so scared you know so they kind of defeated that theory well they have that scene where Theo wraps a blanket around Eleanor and she instinctively is kind of like, no, at first, but then Theo kind of like walks her through it. So maybe they're just trying to portray that like she's a very closed off person. Part of me in the back of my mind, though, was like, is she weirded out that she's bisexual and thinks that like, like it's like kind of that fearful kind of hatred that comes from curiosity and self-loathing that she finds Theo attractive I could easily see that be the motivation to being like so super gun shy around her, you know, because when yeah. you see someone that you're intimidated by or attracted to, your radar is on every move they make, no matter mm-hmm. where they are in the room. So she makes a sudden move towards her and she's like, whoa. Yeah, maybe like Theo is frightening to her because she brings up all these emotions. And she, I mean, if I was in Eleanor's place, I would see that like interaction as a bit flirtatious, you know, like the yeah. what about you, girlfriends, Eleanor? Oh, she 100%. like says her name like that and like, ooh. I would see, I would like open up to that line of questioning, but Eleanor like crosses <laughs> her arms and doesn't even answer the question. She's just like, you know, I just have this beautiful apartment with a flower garden. I'm like, bitch, you are evicted and shut up. I think, okay, I really don't like Eleanor's character. Obviously, can you can you gather that from what I'm saying? <laughs> but also she has this like unique quality where it sounds like everything she says is ADR. <laughs> I know it's unique not quality. <laughs> but she's like acting a, in like a different manner where like everything she says is like, you know, kind of like this. And I'm like, just talk normal. I can't understand you. Oh my God. And it only gets worse as the film goes on. Everything yeah. she says, I'm like, what? <laughs> and the characters even look at each other like, why did she just say that? <laughs> All right. So I have one last Theo to introduce you to. And this is the Theo from the 2018 Netflix series, The Haunting of Hill House. This is also the clip where we're introduced to Theo for the first time. Hi. 
Sierra. for me i would love nothing more <laughs> <laughs> so this is from the 2018 um, netflix series yeah and we see theodora who's at um a very cool club we're made to feel in boston massachusetts and it, we get that like purple bisexual lighting that we see in atomic oh my blonde God, you're so trying yeah we get that again and um she's like casing the joint looking for someone to hit on a guy's giving her eyes and he has no fucking shot in hell <laughs> And then she sees like a stunning woman and shoots her shot and they have like a semi-cringy dance scene and then they go <laughs> home and they fuck. They have sex. You hear her say two words, hi, Theodora. And then these two women are having sex. This is the first time we see this character in the series. So I think it's just great. Like as the Theo character has progressed over history, she's just <laughs> gotten like more and more hot and more and more gay. Yes. And here we are at the pinnacle. I love it. it. I think it's great. And I wish they had the fucking balls to show Catherine Zeta-Jones fucking anyone. I would have even taken her fucking a man. You don't mean that because it would be fucking <laughs> Owen Wilson. No, you're no, so right. Ew. Or even worse, Liam Neeson. I think that would be the better choice of those two. But come on. I don't even want to see her fucking Nell, no, honestly. I was about to say, there's no best case scenario because it's Nell. Ew. Yeah. Sorry, Sorry, everyone. <laughs> yeah, I know people love the Haunting of Hill House Netflix series, and they say that she's one of the most knockout characters, or she is the knockout character of the series for yeah, her character good. and also, like, her sexuality. And we she, love it. She's the only character that I remember from the whole series. I mean, that checks out. Gay. For you. A giant gay. <laughs> a giant gay. <laughs> All right, on to the absolute mess that is this film's plot. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> So Nell and Theo meet the other two main characters in this film. One is Dr. David Morrow, a.k.a. Liam Neeson. And the other is another goofy insomniac named Luke, a.k.a. Owen Wilson. Wow. <laughs> is that pretty good? <laughs> Do yours, do yours. Wow. <laughs> okay, wait. I don't want to skip over that scene where Theo and Nell are walking by a fucking door that's basically a depiction of hell and purgatory. And Nell says, oh, yeah, that's purgatory. I know because I was there for 11 years. And, uh, <laughs> and then they just move on from that. What does that mean? She was taking care of her mother. But it's a dumb line. And then I'm, Catherine Zeta-Jones doesn't even have that context, but she didn't say anything. No, Catherine Zeta-Jones, like, they know each other for a full 12 hours before shit starts going down and they have to start caring about each other's lives. Like, if I was with a stranger and they started acting this irrationally, I would be like, okay, come with me. And the first time they said no, I'd be like, okay, bye. <laughs> I will call 911 and send the police after you, but I am not risking my life for you. You make no sense. You were... She's just losing it. Absolutely unhinged. Like, unhinged. So unhinged that I feel like she was never hinged in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Her hinges were not properly installed from the beginning. No. Okay. Sorry. You're, you're telling us the cast and the characters. All right. So, yeah. I was. That's it. That's all the cast and characters. <laughs> Liam Neeson. Oh, my God. This poor man. He probably committed to this, signed a contract, and he was like, wait, what did Spielberg say? <laughs> He's out? Wait, what about what about Stephen King? He's out? 
That's terrifying. I will say that the like the trio of this like science experiment, Luke, Theo, and Nell, they are giving me like classic horror character tropes. Like we have the stoner who Owen Wilson's character is stoner. He doesn't ever smoke weed, but come on. Yeah. He wears like pajama pants with like SpongeBob on them. <laughs> There's the slut, yeah, our bisexual woman, mm-hmm. and the virgin. Did you kind of get that sense? Mm -hmm. And then, like, Nell kind of goes on this whole, like, um, heroic, like, self-sacrificial rampage. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a classic take on some staple characters in a horror movie. They could have had more. Like, seriously, what the fuck? More characters. And, like, only one person dies. Not that I wanted – I guess two people die technically. But, like, I wanted more. It felt like the whole film was, like – leading us to a place and we never got there yeah 100 percent. you're left with like emotional blue balls at the end dude the pacing of this movie and the editing are some of the worst things i've ever seen and they've got to be pretty bad for you to notice yeah like i feel like the climax starts like 35 minutes in and then you have a full hour and a half of things happening that instead of getting more exciting and more higher stakes just get louder and more frenzied (laughs) and with more cgi i'm like that's not a climax make no there's a scene where she's almost falling down some like stairs in a in a greenhouse and it takes like eight minutes of her almost falling downstairs and then she just kind of like gets up and is fine and is fine (laughs) and for some reason Liam Neeson has to like crawl this like rickety staircase to get to her Mm -hmm. okay I have some knowledge about this scene this scene in particular took a whole week to film Mostly because Liam Neeson is so terrified of heights that he kept trying to do his own stunts and like kind of failing. And then they would just have the stunt person do it. (laughs) And then they would move the camera and try again. Liam Neeson would fail for like 12 full takes and then the stunt person would do it. (laughs) Poor Liam Neeson. He's so tall, but so afraid of heights. The irony. That's so funny. You're like, it took weeks to film. I was like, it felt like it took weeks to watch. God damn. Absolutely. You can cut all of it out of the movie and it would still make as little sense as (laughs) before. (laughs) But the movie would be shorter and I would be happier because of that. (laughs) Oh, God. All right. So our fucking Scooby-Doo mystery gang is all here. So Dr. Liam Neeson is leading what they think is an insomnia study, but is actually a study on group fear dynamics which is a really cool sentence that means absolutely nothing to this plot <laughs> because his like whole idea of the study is to just like put them in a spooky house and see what happens but like he doesn't know it's haunted and the ghosts are to appear like immediately so the, and there's no like conversation or conflict of them being like is this real or is this not real like there's a single scene where they're like did we really hear ghosts and they decide no and then the next scene like Literally, ghost children appear to Nell and lead her down a stairwell, and she's like, I am fighting for these ghost children now. Yeah. Like, that's like a whole theme that they just like don't even address. That could have been a good theme. Yeah. Like, there's something there. There's a yeah. substance like, oh, you're in a study and it's actually contrived, and all these spooky things are like man made to see how you'd react. But like, 
none of the spooky things are man-made. So Liam Neeson just thought he'd bring people to a house and (laughs) they would be scared. And then also he does not observe them in the slightest. (laughs) He's like on his phone walking around the house. That is fully true. And he brings like two research assistants with him. They nope out immediately. They literally disappear. They show up in that scene that Lee was talking about. One of the research assistants is like having kind of a crisis where she's like, look, y'all, I think this place is actually haunted. And then immediately goes over to the piano and the piano string like snaps and hits her in the face. They take her to the hospital and she fully just never comes back. We never <laughs> hear the names again. This is in the first 20 minutes of the movie. This woman does not come back. The assistant doesn't come back with her. Yeah, uh, there's because there's two assistants the Dr. Liam Neeson has, like a man and a woman. The woman gets hit and the male assistant takes her to the hospital and he's like, be back soon. Neither of them come back. We don't talk about them. Days go by. Yeah. And so the re- the rest of the movie, they're basically trapped in this house and they can't get out because they don't have the keys to the gate, which is also a bullshit fucking thing. But what about the assistants? Like, they never came back to check. <laughs> what? They said we quit. I'm like, I'm so upset. But then I'm like, what did I expect? Like, this movie is so many. There's no redeeming qualities for this movie other than Catherine Zeta-Jones. So it's like, I should have expected that the plot is this bad. Yeah. It makes no sense. Yeah, and we're, we're just like, we're just setting up the world still, babe. Like, <laughs> it's just, it doesn't start making sense. So Dr. David Neesom tells them the story of the house to kind of get the fear rolling. Wait, did, did you say Dr. David Neesom? Yeah, it was a play on Dr. David is actually Liam Neeson. Okay. So like I said, <laughs> continue. Dr. Liam Neeson tells them a ghost story about the house. This is the part of my notes that I accidentally deleted. He tells them that the house was owned by like this old guy who owned a factory and he had this beautiful wife and he built this beautiful house for her because they wanted to have a big family, but she never gave birth to a living child and she eventually died. And they're like, no way. Spook. Spook. And apparently that was the only plan this doctor had to spook these people. (laughs) The only plan. I mean, little did he know he chose a really great location for all of this to go down. I mean, yeah. I wonder what he learned from this study. People get scared. (laughs) People get scared of ghosts. He's like, hypothesis complete. (laughs) Who will publish this? (laughs) So increasingly weirder shit begins to happen. And I'm not going to go through all of it, but like here are some of my favorite things. The spirits of the children start appearing to Nell and she befriends them and they lead her to this creepy room underground where she basically finds out that the old man that owned the house killed and burned children in the giant fireplace for some reason and that she herself is related to his second wife, Nell's great-great-grandma. And she's like, well, I'm their family. And so I need to free these children. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm just so exhausted by it. None of this, like, these are all great themes separately, but you can't have 20 themes. You got to pick one and you got to follow through. Well, she keeps trying to say, like, I'm going to protect you from the mean ghost. And it's like, they're all dead. They're all already dead. Yeah. This idea that, like, a single ghost can have, like, reign and reckoning and control over other ghosts. I don't know. That just doesn't check out to me. It also doesn't scare me. I'm like, they're all already dead. Like, they'll figure out a loophole. They have the rest of eternity to figure it out. Yeah. Like, how are you, one of the smallest women I've ever seen in my life, who's, like, very emotionally damaged and delicate right now, going to protect a ghost from another ghost? What? (laughs) She's their family. She's got special powers to deal with her grandpa. Okay. Okay. And so I believe that she fucked this house. Can I talk about this now? Let's just skip straight to it. Let's skip straight to it. Look, I'll I'll get you teed up and you can 
explain why. So the first time you think and wonder, huh, is this house trying to fuck this woman? <laughs> is She is being approached by all these like ghosts. The ghost of the man is appearing to her, the ghost of the children. And she just kind of loses it and starts running around the house at night screaming, who am I? What do you want from me? What's going on? And she ends up inexplicably in a room of mirrors, kind of like a funhouse room where like the floor rotates and there's mirrors all around. Because that's For the room you reason. run in when you're getting chased by ghosts. Not the front door. <laughs> you go seek solace in this fun room of mirrors. And she looks and sees a reflection of herself in the mirror and her pregnancy belly grows like right in front of her eyes boop, 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 boop. and she's like no what the fuck <laughs> and literally i was like wait 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 wait. is the ghost like whole thing is that he wants to impregnate this woman well the thing is is like following this scene she's like laying in bed and she gets like pierced through her not through her body but through like her the nightgown. sheets yeah the nightgown the sheets of her bed she gets like pierced by the house and it looks like the house is about to fuck her um, before someone comes in and saves her. Yeah. That's a really uncomfortable scene. Like, she's, like, tripping out. Mm-hmm. And pieces of the walls are literally pinning her to the bed. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of, like, spread out a little bit. Yeah. And then these hands start coming out of the ceiling at her. I'm like, this is scary, but, like, not for the reasons that make sense and not for any reason I want to think about. Yeah. As a woman watching that, I'm like, oh, this is depicting something that is not just like a horror movie scary. And I was telling Lizzie, like, Oof. scary movie too. Oh my God. The one where they're in the haunted house is based off of this movie, which I never really put together. But there is a scene where Tori Spelling, who I guess is supposed to be Eleanor in this case, gets fucked by the house like there's a ghost that like has actual intercourse with her yeah and i was like what is this referring to i never understood that joke <laughs> this until isn't now a real movie yeah i was like even this is probably a reach it's not that big of a reach not that big of a reach at all y'all this scene is disturbing and like really weirdly handled mm-hmm. and we shouldn't be and especially when you like kind of come to terms with the fact that like okay if this is the reality of the situation this is literally her great-grandfather this is someone that yeah. she is bloodline related to let's how about we just wrap this thing up so the ending of this movie is so insane and frustrating but i'll I'll try to keep it short they all finally fucking make it outside into the courtyard and owen wilson tries to run nell's vintage car into the gate but why he needs to run nell's car the smallest car out of all of theirs because you see his car is like a big suburban yeah like an suv sort of thing and he's he's like like, nell i need your car (laughs) like totals it a tiny two-seater of course it doesn't work and meanwhile nell has wandered back inside the house and is confronting the big scary ghost man and the giant apparition of the big scary ghost man appears to her and is like screaming at her rawr and she literally says i'm gonna stop you now (laughs) calls him grandpa and this is enough that the ghost just like loses all power groans melts away into the like purgatory door with all the other like demon and skeleton shapes just because she said i'm gonna stop you now (laughs) i'm 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 gonna count to three grandpa And then the the son of a bitch movie ends with Eleanor's soul leaving her body and floating up along with all the freed souls of the children and her corpse just drops dead to the ground. And that's it. Uh, You know what this that moment did remind me of another film that's actually good. But, you know, in Labyrinth at the end where she goes, 
you have no power over me. And like the, everything like breaks and flows away. But that was kind of earned because like it's, it's alluded to the whole film that she has the power and just, if just to say these words that she can't recall, but like for fucking Eleanor, who's like delusional, impregnated with a ghost baby to just scream, I'm going to stop you. And the ghost is like, ah, oh no, okay. (laughs) Oh, also Owen Wilson, sorry, Lee, Owen Wilson gets like chopped. His head gets like lobbed off his body. Uh, That's my favorite scene. I I was finally like, all right, here we go. Let's start killing people. Yeah. Me, Lizzie, wanted people to die in this movie for it to be <laughs> worth it. Yeah, he's the only one that dies. And no. So Liam Neeson and Catherine Zeta-Jones are left at the end like, what the fuck do we tell the groundkeepers? Like, there's yeah. two corpses in the house. We're going to jail forever. And once I get out, Liam Neeson, I am suing the living shit out of you. <laughs> oh, my God. He loses all his money. Uh, but she probably goes to, like, some fucking mental institution. No one's going to believe that. I didn't even believe Eleanor. And, like, she's dead. So now who do you pin it on? No one believes a bisexual, let me tell you that. That's true. All right. The end. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> I want my money back. <laughs> All right. So I want to go just into a little bit of the reception of this film. So technically, this film is not a flop. By, like, definition of flop... It was made for $80 million and grossed $180 million. And I myself paid money for it just this week. So it is still accruing profit. We should have torrented that shit. Oh, girl, I tried. It was not like a readily available film to torrent. Um, it has 17% on Rotten Tomatoes for whatever that's worth. Oh my God, that's bad. And um, the letterbox reviews of this film are some of the fucking funniest I've ever read in my entire life. Every week, I believe on Wednesdays, right? Yeah. We post letterbox reviews on our Instagram story and it's the highlight of my week. And this week will be very hard to select. I'm relishing it already. <laughs> Hell yeah. So good. Oh God. Um, so let's attempt to give this movie a quantifiable number rating. So every week we give our film a score. It's an average of how gay is it and how good is it. It's averaged out of 10, and that is the overall subtextual score. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada bing, bada boom. Uh, I don't have very high hopes for this one. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Sam, how good is this movie on a scale of 1 to 10? Honestly, like a 2. Just for their effort to get it released, I feel like... (laughs) Everything but everything is bad. Everything is bad. I give it a two and a half for the ten million dollar sets. Yeah, yeah. That's that's valid. And then Sam, how gay is this movie on a scale of one to ten? There were some chaste glances in between Eleanor and, and Theo. Like I don't wanna understate that, but it was not enough. I I'm gonna give it a three God, that's even too much, I feel. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a three because there was some glances and Catherine Zeta Jones is really hot. Okay, and I will say I'll give it a four, but I gave Girl Interrupted a five, and they don't say the words girlfriends, but they do kiss. So I feel like in relation, I'll give it a four. Okay. That's a lot of really small numbers. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, my God. Hold on. It's a stinker, folks. It's a (laughs) 2.8. A 2.8. Jesus Christ. A a 2.88. Folks, it just jumped to the number one spot of worst scored movie on this entire podcast. Damn. Well, look, if you're going to whole ass one thing, maybe your 
thing as being bad. God, that is so fucking bad, you guys. I like, I hope you go back and watch it just so we can commiserate. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say, like, I don't recommend you not to watch it. Like, you should mm-hmm. watch it. The viewing experience gets some points for, like, you're, like, having fun with whoever you're watching it with because it's just so unbelievably bad. Yeah, it's like a bonding moment. Trauma bonding. Yeah, it's like when you miss your flight and there's someone else next to you that also missed their flight and you go to Subway together. Exactly that. Trauma bonding. Trauma bonding. That's the definition of that word. (laughs) (laughs) So, Sam, do you have any closing thoughts or anything you learned? I learned so many things. Um, I think Steven Spielberg had the right idea. Yeah. And here we are putting our name on this bad boy. (laughs) (laughs) We want to be associated with this mess. Absolutely. We launched a Patreon. If you want to support us, you can find us at patreon.com slash subtextualpod. There's a bunch of weird shit, folks. I'm not going to lie. So if that's what you're into, see you there.